so last week we talked about identity and uh, different like layers of identity, different things that help to define us, and how sometimes there there are identities that stack on top of each other really well. Often there are other identities which function almost like opposite ends of a magnet, which um, there's like an invisible but but present force there that pushes us away. Uh, they, they do not, those identities do not jive well. Um, two of the identities, though, that I have taken on that actually fit and stack pretty well together are an identity as a runner and a techie. There have been times in my life when though they haven't been activated. So, like, uh, when we first had Chloe, our oldest daughter, nine years ago, that runner identity kind of fell off pretty quickly and easily because got a little kid running around, and then we had two more kids after that. The techie one, even with kids, though, never went away. Never went away. Um, so when I talk about being a techie, the real techies would talk about being a, um, an early adopter, which means that we got to have all of the new and best stuff because it's cool. Doesn't mean that it works the best. Often it doesn't work the best because it's brand new and the people who are using it don't really know how to use it. And the companies that make them don't actually know what they're doing. It's the early adopters like us who get to test it out to figure out how it's supposed to work so that by the second or third iteration, it works like it's supposed to. Uh, That's something that never went away even when I had kids. So in 2015, when the Apple Watch came out, um... We had kids. It was kind of billed as a fitness type of device. I was not embracing that identity as runner, but I was a techie, and I needed to have this flashy new thing. Um, Now, all these years later, as I'm starting to add back in this identity as runner, it's crazy how those two things kind of overlap, being a techie and a runner. Like, I'm able to go for a workout, and I get back, or even as I'm doing it, I'm getting all of this data back from this little device on my wrist. It has all of these sensors, things like, of course, distance and time, right? But there's also elevation, heart rate, pace, cadence, vertical oscillation, ground contact time, stride length, and then VO2 max. Does anybody know what that is? I, 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 shampoo. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it has something to do with oxygen and volume and oxygen. I don't know. It's able to measure this little thing on my wrist that seven years ago um, was brand new and I wasn't using and uh, I didn't fully know how to, to make use of it. It's able to collect all of this data and do all that for me in a really helpful way. Again, though, this wasn't always the case. So let's step back 10 plus years ago when I still had those two identities that were being activated of runner and techie, but the tech had not yet come around to this, right? But I was still interested in the the best tech that was going to help me understand my workouts. So at this time, uh, I was embracing what was called the Nike Plus Tracker. Here's a picture of the Nike Plus Tracker. Anybody familiar with this thing? So it looks gigantic on the screen. The Nike Plus Tracker was this little device about this big, a little tag, this big and about that thick that you could either put, you could get uh, specific Nike shoes that you could put inside the shoe. There's like a slot for it. Um, Or you could get a little thing where you could attach it 
to your shoe. And it was supposed to be able to, to calculate all of this data about your workout. Um, and, and it was seamless. At the time, it was seamless. So here's what you would do. You would attach it to your shoe. You'd go for a workout. Then you'd come back from your workout, and all of that data would be on that thing. Now, that thing could wirelessly connect to a little dongle. Do you mind going back to that slide? This little dongle that would attach to your iPod Nano. Fancy iPod Nano. Um, you then, so it upload it all to the iPod Nano. Then you take your iPod Nano, and you You'd plug it into your computer. On your computer, you'd launch iTunes. You'd sync it between the iPod and iTunes. Then you would open up your browser and sync iTunes to, uh, to Nike's website. And then magically, you'd have all the data from this thing on your foot. Ten years ago, this was magical. Now it's like, I had to go through all of those steps in order to do that. Um, then it wasn't a huge deal, though, because there was nothing else. Well, one of the things that was a big deal even at that time and was super frustrating even uh, and tedious to do was calibration. So in order for this little device that you stuck on your foot to accurately measure your workouts, you had to calibrate it first. So if you wanted to go for outdoor runs, that was the consistent thing that you were going to do. The first time you went for an outdoor run, you had to calculate all of that stuff on your own so that you could then tell the device, this is what it's like for me to go for an outdoor run. This is my pace. This is the time. This is the, the distance. So that then it could adequately and accurately measure that stuff. Again, very annoying, very tedious, and yet super important because what, what I was doing, what we who used these devices were doing, were allowing it to do the thing that it was built to do, that it was all along meant to do. Tedious, bothersome at times, but allowing it to do the thing that it was originally meant to do. Uh, as, as we move into new seasons, either in life or even in the year, we often use these seasons as a time to recalibrate to start again maybe doing the things that we have always been meant to do but maybe gotten away from. So sometimes we use like the, the physical seasons in the year to do this. As we're moving into fall, we might, if we're being honest, look back on the months that came before and are like, there's certain things that I started doing over the course of the summer that weren't really me before, but then they became habits and then they just became normal and I need now, as I move into this new season, to address that. Uh, maybe as we get into winter, we'll look back and say, oh, well, fall, some of the same things were going on. We use these seasons and these translate, uh, transitions in seasons as opportunities and excuses to recalibrate. There's often also these seasons that happen in our lives that are not necessarily um, as, as easy to, to pinpoint, but as we look back, as things happen to us, we realize, oh, things are different now. The world is different now. My life is different now. And, and maybe this is an opportunity or an excuse to, to recalibrate and, and start doing the things that I was meant to do all along. Things like graduating from high school or from college or from a master's program. Things like getting married, maybe getting divorced, maybe having a kid, maybe losing a loved one, maybe getting a diagnosis, maybe, I don't know, living through a global pandemic. 
We have these things that happen to us where we realize maybe this is the season, maybe this is an opportunity for us to experience a transition and to recalibrate and to get resettled into what we were meant to do all along. This is the case for us as followers of Jesus and has always been the case for followers of Jesus. From the very beginning, there were these moments of recognition that things are not the same and we need to get back and resettle into the things that were, uh, we've been meaning to do all along. So at the very outset, Jesus had a small group of people, a couple dozen men and women that were really close to him, got to know him really well, got to know his vision for the world really well. And then he dies and then he is raised, and then he spends a little bit more time with them, and then ascends to heaven, and then they are left to try to figure out what life on earth without him is like. That required them to kind of recalibrate their systems to figure out, well, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus now? Then you skip forward a couple decades, and the followers of Jesus took his words seriously, and they started bringing the good news that he had talked about to their cities, to their regions, to their countries, to the very ends of the known world. And suddenly there's millions of more people who are a part of this movement, which sounds fantastic. Except that if you have been on social media at all over the last few years, specifically the last six years, one of the things that we've realized is that when you get that many people together from across all sorts of divides who have different ideas, different beliefs, different uh, geographies, different backgrounds, there can be conflict. Conflict on social media? I know. Well, this was the case then, too. All of a sudden, this group that had been uh, a couple dozen people expanded to thousands, millions of people across the known world— and they're all supposedly following Jesus, but they're, they're finding these conflicts in, in culture and geography, and they have to recalibrate and figure out, well, now what do we do in order to focus on the things that we've been meant to do all along? Enter what is known as the epistles. Who's familiar with that word, epistles? So epistles is a fancy word for letters. I don't know why we got to use these fancy words, but the, the I want you to think the letters. So uh, the, the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, this is the part where Jesus shows up. Uh, the majority of the New Testament is made up of these epistles or letters that are written by followers of Jesus to other followers of Jesus trying to recalibrate, trying to figure out what it means for them and for us to follow Jesus in this world that is shifting while also focusing on what we were always meant to do. Uh, and two of those letters are called First and Second Peter. Uh, historically, it's thought that the, the apostle, one of the earliest fathers of Jesus named Peter, wrote these two letters. Uh, we don't know if that's the case. It's very possible that that's not the case and that the author of these letters just wanted us to think of Peter as we we're reading them. So we don't know the author, but we do know who was receiving them and what the situation was. So the, the people receiving this letter uh, lived in uh, a, a spot called Asia Minor. 
they were primarily non-Jewish people. And they're living in this, this culture, which is very different. They grew up in it, though, and suddenly, though, they're, they're following Jesus, which has different expectations. And they're asking these questions about, what does it mean now for us to do this in this place? Uh, perhaps even, what does it mean, what does it look like for us to engage with the world around us? Should we get really holy? Focused on being really holy at the expense of being considered antisocial? Or, on the other end of the spectrum, should we say, you know what, we want to engage with, we want to embrace the world that we're in at the risk of conforming and just ending up looking like everybody else? Well, First Peter comes along and says, perhaps there is a happy medium, a third way for us to go about doing this, to recalibrate, to focus on what we were always meant to do. So the passage we're, we're reading from today is from 1 Peter, and this is the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. He says, Get rid of all evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and yearn like newborn infants for pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up to salvation, if you have experienced the Lord's kindness. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and priceless in God's sight, you yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in scripture, look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and priceless cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So you who believe see that his value. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling stone and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians, so that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. It's interesting that this letter was written primarily to people who were non-Jewish, and yet what the writer does is goes directly back to the Jewish scriptures. Not only that, he goes back to the very beginning of the identity formation for the Jewish people. Uh, They had been in in slavery, in Egypt, they had been set free, miraculously brought into freedom. On the other side, it was the expectation that they would move into their own land, their land of promise. And yet before they got there, they had this time in the wilderness where God sat them down and God was going to tell them, this is what the expectations for you, this is what you need to believe, and this is what you need to do when you get there. This is where the Ten Commandments come into play. 
But before that even happens, before it, it all starts getting real about what they need to do and what they need to believe, God first addresses them at the identity level. And, and this is what God says in Exodus chapter 19, 4 through 6. This is going to sound familiar from what we just read. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And now if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the Israelites. From their very formation as a people, it was the expectation that they would be blessed. They would be special. But the idea from the very formation was not that they were going to be blessed in order to, uh, in order to have all that they needed for themselves. It wasn't that they were going to be considered special so they could give themselves a pat on the back. The idea was that they would be blessed in order to bless. They would be called out in order that they might go out. And they would do, so, they would do it in such a way that the nations would take notice They'd look at what was going on in Israel and say, oh my goodness, I, I don't know what they have going on, but that is something that I feel like I want to be a part of. So we jump back to this letter written, in, uh, written hundreds of years later, written to a non-Jewish audience, and Peter's saying this identity-forming type of event this identity-forming instruction goes out to you as well, just as it did to God's people hundreds of years ago. You are blessed in order to bless. You are called out in order to go out. Now, there's a couple things in this passage that, that people have historically read out of context where they have said, well, there's a whole lot of, like, um, you are shamed, you're looked down upon, and it's easy to develop like a persecution complex. Like, everybody hates me. Some people get a rise out of that. I have no idea why, but apparently it's a thing. Some people like the idea that they are constantly in conflict, that there's constantly somebody against them. But that's not what's going on here. Again, going back to the actual passage, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own. Why? So that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The idea, again, is that you are blessed in order to bless others. You have this shared experience, sure. You have this shared identity, yes, but you also have, even more importantly, a shared mission. You are unified by a shared mission as followers of Jesus. You are living stones who are building something on top of this foundation that is, is Jesus, like we talked about last week. You're living stones building something beautiful alongside one another, that as people see what is happening, what you are doing, what you are about in, in your individual churches, what you are about as individual followers of Jesus, that people will take notice of. 
And when they take notice of it, they might not understand it at all. But it will be so beautiful, so compelling, that many people will say, my goodness, I don't get it, but that's maybe something that I could see myself being a part of. Nine months ago, January 2022, we started weekly worship here in Cottage Grove. And we were super excited about all that we had done, um, all that we had, had, all the work that we had put in to get to that point, January 3rd of this year. And often when churches are just getting up and going, they have their first Sunday of weekly worship, the the idea is that uh, the pull is to do what's called a launch Sunday. So you do all of this attention, all of this energy, all of this paid promotion even around making that first Sunday a really big event. Uh, you might even bring in like bouncy houses and I don't know, all sorts of, all sorts of other stuff, catered food. It, the idea is that you have this one big event to celebrate on this launch Sunday. That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad thing to celebrate something as big and momentous as like starting a new church in the middle of a pandemic. However, we got, we got pretty, pretty good pushback from, from the people who are like coaching me and from our conference to not focus on a launch Sunday. Not because, it wasn't a bad, not because it was a bad idea, not because those were bad impulses, but that, that we shouldn't focus on a specific Sunday where we were trying to get people to show up. But instead of a launch Sunday, we needed to think about a launch season where we were being really intentional over a long period of time, calibrating even around the, the things that we wanted to do and were meant to do all along. So we have been in this launch season with the idea that over time we're going to continue to provide a compelling experience on Sunday mornings, that we're going to be doing things throughout the week in our individual lives and as a church that are going to connect with people in the community that will grow goodness in and through us. And we've seen the benefits of that. Nine months later, we have a whole new group of people, a growing number of people who found what we're doing compelling. Nine months later, we've gotten this Sunday morning thing down really well. We're able to fake it when we don't have it all figured out at this point. Like when rehearsal goes until 10 minutes before the service is supposed to start, right? But we can do it because we've gotten really good at it. We've gotten more and more people who are excited about being involved in this new thing. We, we found really cool, compelling ways of connecting with our community and serving with our community. We have more and more young little kids showing up, but we also have older people to the point where this dream of having a multi-generational church is becoming a reality. And here we are in almost October, and there is a teetering that maybe some of you who are a part of this church are, are starting to feel that we're not going to be in this launch season for much longer. We're like teetering towards a different kind of season in, in the life of this church. It, it's not launch, but my goodness, folks, we need to make sure that it is also not coasting season. 
This season is not a time to be satisfied with where we've been at, but a time to recalibrate and continue to focus on the things that we have been meant to do all along. For us as individuals and for us as a church to focus again and again and again on what it means to grow goodness, to expand our circle of inclusion, to nurture healing, wholeness, and beauty, to cultivate the common good, to deepen our curiosity and sense of awe, to continue to focus and recalibrate around imagining and then inviting and then welcoming the people who might arrive next, to continue to focus on and calibrate on uh, around um, giving our time and our talents and our treasures, continuing to focus on the things that we've been meant to do all along. This is the reason why, like that Nike Plus tracker that might be a little tedious and might be a little annoying, you will continue to hear things like a stewardship campaign and Grove Groups. Sign up this week for Grove Groups. Why, next month we're making a big push the entire month for getting involved because these things are important. These are the things that we've been meant to do all along, and we can't, keep, we can't take our eyes off of it. We need to continue to calibrate and recalibrate around the things that matter most. And if we do that, we have proven that we're pretty good at this, that we can provide a really good, compelling experience if we continue to calibrate and recalibrate what we're going to do is continue to build upon that foundation that, that God has laid for us, that Jesus has laid for us, that we've slowly been building on our own. And we're going to do so in such a way that we're going to continue to build something beautiful and compelling where people are going to take notice. They might say, I have no idea what on earth they're doing or what they're talking about, but that looks like something that I could find myself being a part of. And in the process, we're going to be more in sync with God and more in sync with one another. So, as we move into this new season, may that be our focus to recalibrate on the things that have mattered most this whole time. May that be so.